0: I think I've ever met a group of pe- people who feel more. All of these people that I've worked with, all of the first responders that I've met, they just have a passion. I was on a call where there was a, a baby involved. The impact that that call had on me for two years, like it has taken a long time for me to really come over the top of that call. I did ask one day, I said, I don't know how I'm ever going to not feel on some of these calls. And he goes, you're not ever supposed to stop feeling. And there's been so many times where we can't do anything on the ambulance except for hold their hand. And that's what you do. You hold their hand. if you can make that fear go down, even in the slightest, you've done your job.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Aaron. And it's another episode of the Simply Overcoming podcast. Thank you for gracing us with your presence today. If you're here, it's where you're meant to be. Today's episode is one that I've been looking forward to for a little while now. And the reason why is because I'm going to be talking to Erin Howell, and she works in EMS, and so does my wife. So um, they have something in common. And we're going to be talking about the first responder community and mental health and Aaron has some really awesome things to say about that. Aaron is also a co-owner of a company Mountain Mama's Outfitters and you're an owner and operator is that correct Aaron? Correct. First of all, Aaron, thank you for for being willing to be on the podcast today. I know you're you're having a busy day but taking a little time to come and talk to us. Just really appreciate that.
0: I appreciate you having me here
1: so I was talking to you I don't know a week week and a half ago and you were telling me that EMS was not really your first choice in what you were going to do with your life and somehow you were just thrown right into it so how how did that happen
0: well I actually was a chef for a lot of years and I love to be in the kitchen uh I I have worked in a number of really nice restaurants in Whitefish, Montana, and all the way down to North Georgia, and loved it. I really do love being in the kitchen, but I had a couple of things happen, and my husband passed away, and after that happened, I kind of was at a crossroads and my best friend and I had been for years and years, we've always hiked. We've always uh, rafted and done river floats and dreamt about being paid to go do the things that we love to do. And so, and not having to go to a nine to five job and uh, well, in the kitchen, it's not nine to five. Sometimes it's nine to one o'clock in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) But and just dreamt of doing something that we really truly loved and being outdoors all the time. And so I I moved to Georgia after my husband passed away and I knew that I was coming back to Montana. I didn't know exactly when, but knew I was coming back to Montana um, and knew that there was going to be some changes and didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. But so there was just a crossroads. And then at the same time, my best friend was kind of in a crossroads in her life as well. She had, uh, finished her degree in exercise science and wasn't sure if she wanted to go to PT school uh, yet or not, but wasn't quite sure what she was going to do with her degree. And when we got to talking about it, we're like, well, why don't we do what we had originally planned? And one of the things that we were constantly getting on our social media um, platforms was Were comments from ladies that would say, We wish we could do what you do. Uh, We would post all of our pictures on the different adventures that we would take. And our kids came with us all the time. Uh, Mine right now are 10 and 13, and hers are 14 and almost 16. And they, so they have been on the river since they were babies. They've been camping since they were babies. They've been hiking. I mean, we would carry them in backpacks. My son, didn't like a backpack he has been hiking since he was one and a half because he would kick me if he was in a backpack Um, but they've been they've been doing that for their entire life and so we would post all of our pictures and women would be we wish we could do what you do and we finally asked the question well why don't you and uh one of the one of the reasons was we don't feel physically fit enough and then the other reason was we don't know anybody to go with and so we built our business a, around those two main main answers uh, where Sierra has uh, her um, personal training certification through NASM. And so we do a couch to mountaintop program to get people um, into functional um, fitness to where they are able to do the things that they want to do. Be able to get off the couch and go up to the top of the mountain um, if you want to If a marathon running is something that you want to do, she'll even work with that kind of a program to get you ready to go, but just get you up and be there with you to make sure you meet your goals. And so then when we got her all set up with what her part of our business was going to be, um, the question was, well, what is my part going to be? What What is my main part going to be? Well, we decided that if we were going to be doing this and going out into the back country, we needed somebody that could. Deal with any um potential dangers that would happen or um injuries or anything like that. And a friend of ours had shown me um uh airy backcountry medicine for wilderness EMT. And I got uh, registered for that. And when I got back to Montana and settled. Uh, There was a billboard in East Missoula that said, come join the East Missoula Fire Department, the volunteer fire department. And so I'm generally nuts most of the time anyway. And so (laughs) 35 years old and I decide that joining the volunteer fire department is a good idea.
1: Sounds like a good plan. (laughs) Good life decision. Yeah.
0: Well, and then I got there and I fell in love with it. It was Uh, East Missoula is a 24 hour um, volunteer fire department that is staffed and you don't find most of, you don't find a volunteer um, department that's staffed 24 hours. So that was very unique. Training was every single Monday and it was intense training and then uh, not as intensive, obviously, as a professional fire department, but they did get their, they did get their training in on both EMS side and fire side. And there was so much that I brought from the fire department that I absolutely loved. And once I got into it, if I were younger, when I real when I found out that or got into that, I would have gone professional fire all the way. And Interesting.
1: So, um, wow, it's just yeah. it, it's just something that you fit right into.
0: I I just fell in love with it, and it yeah. was there was a lot of reasons for that. One, I'm in a department where there's a bunch of twenty year old kids that are volunteering up to 40 hours a week of their life um volunteering that's on top of schooling that's on top of their jobs that they're working to cover their payments and then coming and volunteering at a fire department and taking care of a community and i just i was so impressed and those, so,
1: those people are truly passionate about mm-hmm. what they're doing obviously There's no other reason to be in, in EMS. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to take it back to, um, so when did your husband pass away?
0: Uh, it was November 19th of 2015,
1: 2015. So then you took off back to Georgia. Was Georgia a place that you went because of family and friends that were there support system?
0: Uh, My dad is, I'm, I was born in North Georgia. My parents were military and my dad and my stepmom have been living there for, oh goodness, 20, 20 years, a little more than 20 years at this point. And uh, it was, it was kind of a comfortable escape. It was a place where I didn't have, I knew so many people in the town that I lived in. I lived in Kalispell. And it was one of those things where you walk in the grocery store and somebody knows what happened. And so you get that look and I just didn't want to, I didn't want that look anymore. And my kids and I needed a place to, um, go and kind of figure out who we were without him anymore.
1: So you came back to Montana. How, how many years later did you say, how long have you been back?
0: Um, I made it 11 months in Georgia.
1: (laughs) Before you realized you had to get back to Montana. Once you live in Montana, no other place, you
0: can't live anywhere else. No. And I, it was funny too, because as soon as I told everybody I was moving to Georgia, they started casting lots on how long it would take for me to come back.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious. Do you remember what the (laughs) shortest amount of time was? The shortest guess?
0: I had, well, I had planned for three years and I think my best friend is like, I'm giving it six months. <laughs> so,
1: so where is Sierra from? Is she, is she live in Montana? Is that where she's from?
0: Sierra is born and raised in Missoula. Okay. And so, as Sierra and I actually met at church. My husband was a little iffy about meeting new people and for reasons I, I won't go into at the moment, (laughs) but he was a little bit iffy about meeting new people. And so we didn't, and then Jeff had a logging accident. It was, uh, um, pretty severe. He had all of the vertebrae in his spine were fractured and my husband really had a, a lot of things happen to him, but all the vertebrae in his spine were fractured. He had all the ribs in his back were broken his both of his shoulder blades. So he wasn't needless to say he was in the hospital for a very long time. And so when he went into PT, uh, the church had contacted Sierra and Lincoln, Lincoln was Sierra's husband at the time and said, Hey, this is going on. If you wouldn't mind, like if you'd like to, it would be nice for you to go down and just sit there with him and talk and, and give him some company. And so Lincoln went down and Jeff and him started off a really good relationship. And so then after that, we were pretty much inseparable. <laughs> so we've been friends now. Aislin was four months old when that happened. And uh, we've been friends since then. And Aislin turned um, 13 uh, at the beginning of May. It's been 13 years now.
1: Once you got into working at the fire department and you realized that this is really a path that I'd really like to go down, uh, did did you ever imagine yourself in your life working in a high stress environment, being able to work in a high stress environment like that, dealing with blood, dealing with those types of things? Is that something that you you were surprised that you could handle?.
0: Uh- I was surprised that I could deal with the blood. Um, in fact, people uh, in my family, my family specifically made fun of me. They were like, I don't know how you're going to be able to do this because uh, blood is not my favorite thing. Uh, the high stress is not, I'm nothing I ever worried about. I, I work very well under stress and I, it, being in a kitchen and when you have a, a the kitchen, the last kitchen I worked in, they grossed $2 million a year. So that's a, I mean, it's a high stress environment to work with, um, a chef (laughs) just to be on your toes all the time and and ready to go. So,
1: so maybe the restaurant game prepared you for this. I mean, kitchens can be pretty bloody too sometimes, right?
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. There's, um, there was one day I ended up, uh, one of our dishwashers had stacked a bunch of, um, kitchen pans up in the rack Instead of set it, separating them into two stacks, he stacked them really high. And I went to go get something and it knocked that entire stack off. I, I mean, this has gotta be probably a good 30 pounds worth of metal coming down. And like the first thought that I had was stop it. And so I stuck my elbow out <laughs> to try to stop it and slice my elbow all the way down. And oh. so that, I mean, there was a lot of blood. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, so the kitchen was preparing you for something so much bigger.
0: (laughs) Yes. I think that my husband, I mean, my husband was, um, one day I get a phone call and he goes, are you close? And I said, uh, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, do you have any pads with you? And I'm like, like feminine napkin pads. And he goes, yeah. And I said, yes. And he goes, he goes, well, will you come over here? And I said, okay. And so I got there. He had sliced a chunk out of his arm with his chainsaw because his chainsaw, um, hit a knot and kicked back and he's got layers just open up in his arm and he just puts a pad on it and wraps it in duct tape and goes back to work. And I'm like, Oh my God. At
1: what, at what point from getting into EMS working for the, for the fire department or volunteering with the fire department, did you and Sierra decide to start this guiding company?
0: Oh, we we had uh, made the decision to start the guiding company before I got into EMS. Oh, okay. So I, the only reason, so I had uh, the only reason I got into um, the fire department was to see what I was getting myself into when it came to being an EMT. So I had already registered for my class at Country Backcountry uh, Medicine here in Missoula. And I just kind of wanted to know what I was getting myself into and kind of prepare myself. So I jumped onto there and then um, fell in love with it. And then from there, after I got my um, certs and I learned what uh, keeping them uh all of the licensing and everything taken care of and the CEs that you have to have. So that's when I made the decision that working for a company to be on my toes was going to be the best way to just keep me prepared for the backcountry. So,
1: Got it. Okay. So what all does your guiding company include? You do more than backpack guiding, correct?
0: Uh, we do. So Sierra is a certified uh, climbing guide as well and so we also love to cross-country ski and we love to we love to travel so um we go to different places and the pandemic kind of botched that obviously with a lot of other things but Mm. um we went to Bolivia in 2019 and trekked Austria peak and uh we had planned on going to Banff last year but we had to postpone that until next year and do a cross-country ski trip and that'll be it'll be 4 days of cross country skiing and then a day in calgary as well and so
1: so even guiding in other countries then yeah.
0: so and then how, in other states as well
1: i see how <laughs> does it how does it work when it comes to getting licenses to to go and do a guide trip in bolivia
0: Uh, so we hired a guide in Bolivia our uh, main focus on doing the Bolivia trip was being there for the people that wanted to do it but were not comfortable with going by themselves not comfortable with hiring a guide that they didn't know Uh, so two of the women are the two women that we took to Bolivia both of them were single women or well um, they were only going by themselves and so they didn't they wanted to have a little bit more of a safety net. And so basically we were their safety net. So we um, prepared the entire trip. We made sure that we had a guide on that trip. We made sure that we had a place to stay on that trip. Um we went into Bolivia in a political turmoil and Oh we, no. So it happened the day bef- the day before we went in, it was a presidential election that ended up going South. And so we went into riots and, uh, blocking streets. And so it was nice having, having everybody, I mean, everybody was kind of together and they didn't feel uncomfortable. And it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. Uh, we had the windows open and, um, had tear gas coming into our windows and we had to shut those. (laughs) Wow.
1: That's crazy. Wow. So, Your website, I'm just reading directly from your website. It says Mountain Mamas Outfitter is dedicated to getting you outside and seeing what the wilderness can do for you. Let Mountain Mamas get you somewhere you may not have on your own. You really want to inspire people and get people comfortable with getting into the woods and experiencing that even if they have never done it before, giving them a new experience. How important is the woods, the solitude of the mountains, nature, being out in nature, in your life, your life personally?
0: I would say probably one of the the most important things in my life and to show my kids, it's hard work. It's not something that's easy to do, especially if you're backpacking. Let me go back to this weekend. So this weekend uh, I took the kids out for a backpacking trip and we were planning on backpacking out by a waterfall and the amount of deadfall that was down, we couldn't get to. Um, We couldn't get to the waterfall, but they were so let's push forward. Let's see where we can get to. And I, I love that. I love the fact that they want to go further. Um, They got super excited about finding morels. And so then it ended up being just a trip about finding what we could. We saw a beautiful hawk. We saw a snake. I mean, we just, in the bitter roots, it's really cool because you could be on the same trail and it just changes all the way through and so you see all the different, all the differences in, in even just one valley and I love being able to share that with the kids, but it teaches you about failure, it teaches you about turning around when you don't when something's not right. Um, it teaches you about paying attention to your own body. Um, because if you're not paying attention to your body and not paying attention to the needs, then, um, it could cause problems while you're in the back country. And there's so many different lessons. And that's why I think it's a big deal for me and the solitude as well. I mean, it is about the solitude and getting away from your devices and. Mm,
1: yeah. So. Ad- Adversity builds so much character mm-hmm. and man, if, if you just, if you go through life without, putting yourself into situations that are challenging, your character is just not going to grow and you're going to end up becoming stagnant. I would assume that the wilderness was a place to help you heal after your husband passed away as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, It has been a place to help me heal in a lot of different things that have happened in my my life. Just being able to go out and hike and think and
1: reflect and... So let's, let's discuss mental health in the first responder community, because it's such a huge problem in the community. And obviously you and Sierra have, uh, become passionate about that specifically. And you have a guide trip that's coming up in just a few days, and you're going to be taking a group of first responders into the mountains. You have a counselor or multiple counselors that are going to be coming along to help support getting them out in nature and just talking through some issues. And, and tell me a little bit about that side of your company and, and why that's so important to you.
0: I'm definitely a believer in things happen for a reason. And this was such a God thing in every single way, because the business itself, the falling into, um, EMS and falling into this kind of, uh, use for the trails that we have in the Bitterroot. And so we have 10 trails in the Bitterroot and we do, we do take people out for hikes and cross-country ski trips and snowshoeing and backpacking and stuff like that. But there was so much more that you can do with them. And one day I had, well, since coming on to um, be a first responder, I've decided I, and seeing, seeing the financial side and seeing the uh, mental health side of it and everything, I have been supporting different first responder owned and operated companies. I ordered a shirt from Uh, led by Iron and led by Iron as a first responder owned and operated uh, fitness apparel company and ordered a shirt from them. And Sierra and I had been talking about doing a bike ride for, gosh, a year, maybe two years already, but we wanted to do it for a reason. And we had looked at different um, organizations and different companies, different missionary um, uh, missions that the church even uh, donates money to to see if that but it never ended up being something that was this is what we want to do it for and I ordered this shirt from Led by Iron and got it in and in the package was a note card about Nextrung and it talked about the suicide rate amongst first responders and what they offered and they offer a uh, peer-to-peer support hotline. So if a first responder, uh, that's law enforcement, that's uh, 911 operators, that's nine or EMS, that's firefighters, all of them. The two that um, started the company are firefighters, one in Atlanta and one in California. And they so they have a peer-to-peer support hotline, which is fantastic. They also offer financial support if you need to go and seek further counseling. And then they also offer financial support to families of first responders who have lost their first responder suicide. And so they have a lot that they offer. And as soon as I read that card, I I knew that that was, and it just so happened Sierra was going to be at my house not very long after I got that package. And all I did was hand it to her. I handed her the card. I didn't say a word and she's like, oh, okay. And I knew exactly what she meant. And I Contacted them and within 30 minutes I heard back from them and told them that that's that was what we were gonna do and so it took us a year and we started planning and uh, we have a PR rep that's out of New York and she set it up to where we got companies so we went from the we made the decision that we were gonna do this bike ride and because of the fact that we're moms we didn't want to go for too terribly long so we had a month that we had set aside to where we could do this ride. And we were going from the Mexican border to the Canadian border. And so we started in San Diego and um, came up through Kalispell and Eureka and um, stopped at the Canadian border there. And throughout this trip, we stopped at different fire departments and uh, Tia, Uh, is with Liba PR and she's out of Sag Harbor and she set it up. She got all of the five of the fire departments we stopped at were fed. So we stopped and sat there and gave them information and um, got to sit and have like family style dinner with them and, and just chat. And I'll tell you, like we, I mean, this took a year in planning and we, had no idea what we were doing, (laughs) even after the year of planning, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And in fact, we talked with the, when we first got there, the fire department, the guys at the fire department were a little on edge. I mean, here's two girls walking into a bunch of firefighters who have been doing this for years and they're like, what are they going to tell us about suicide? And so they they said, do you have a presentation? Do we need to set anything up? And we're like, nope, we're just here to support you. And as soon as we said that, the air in the room completely lightened. We all sat down at table and all of the stories came out. Mm. And so, and everybody was open to talking about the things that they were dealing with. And, um, and then as soon as that happened, um, we we knew what we were doing for the rest of the trip and we had started. So the San Diego fire department, um, they, we contacted one of the firefighters there and we had a contact there and he and his wife ended up, um, setting us up for two nights. And so the morning that we got there or the first morning that we spent there, we woke up pretty early and had coffee with him. And I had a long long talk about, because we weren't sure if this was the right thing to be doing. We didn't know. And as soon as I started talking with him, we knew it was a good thing. And then he and his friend Jay ended up being our partners for the first 53 miles of that trip. And one of them drove my car and one of them took us through San Diego and to the different fire departments there where we could drop off um, information and ended up, ended up being fantastic. And so during that trip, we stopped at five where we fed them and got to spend some time with them and then we stopped at 15 other and dropped off information about next rung we got into idaho we got into idaho and into montana and started realizing that the stories on suicide were going down um, less and less and uh we i asked one of the firefighters in Kalispell, i or i said something about it i said that once we got into idaho we just really didn't hear any any suicide stories and he goes Well, it's kind of because we have all of this and he kind of a if anybody knows what kalispell is like it's a it's a bowl with mountains all around it and he goes we have all of this and so there's lakes everywhere all around in kalispell there's hiking trails all over the place and he goes we all hunt we all fish we all um hike we ski we're out on the river all the time and it made so much sense on how grounded you can get um when you're out in the woods and then that's when we started thinking well how do we use our trails for this like what can we do now to um further this and also get the communities involved in the fact that i mean they have first responders that are that the mental health status on first responders is is very very important yeah so um so then we we started doing this and so the uh the pandemic, the pandemic actually helped a little bit. It kind of slowed down some things to where we could really, really focus on the exact needs that we wanted to um, address. And um, it took us two years. And so uh, next week, we leave on the 11th of June um, for a four-day backpacking trip into into the woods with changes. So
1: are you going into this with any major expectations? Are you concerned about anything specific or are you just really excited to finally see this become a reality?
0: I'm just excited about seeing this as becoming a reality. Uh, this is going to be the first annual, this is the first annual, we would like to do this every year. Um, and it's what we're doing is trying to make it to where these first responders don't have to worry about the financial aspect of this. And so we have been seeking, Tia, um, Tia with Lea, Leba PR has been working really hard on getting donors. Um, she's gotten breweries in the communities of the first responders that we have to do pint nights to um, gain money. We don't want them to not come because of finances. And so, uh, this is completely free to them. They have a $250, um, commitment deposit that they get back, uh, after they have, um, come and done the, done the trip. And so
1: that is so exciting, Aaron. I, I don't know if you have any specific statistics about EMS specifically first responders who, you know, in the as far as mental health goes, I know from some research that I was doing, you know, they say that 37% of emergency medical service providers have contemplated suicide and 6.6 have made an actual attempt. Suicide is a major problem in the EMS world. I'm sure there's a lot of PTSD, uh, that people struggle with and feeling, feeling very alone in, in the space that they're in. And so, I love the idea of, of next rung and what they do. And you can go and visit their website, nextrung.org. There's different um, phone numbers that you can call. You can find the support that you need. You're not alone in this. And there's people out there who want to help you. If, if you are a first responder and, and you need, need help, you need to talk to somebody, you need to, to talk through something. So uh, I just wanted to put that out there. That's really important. So you're doing this on the 11th, you said. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Are you already packed up and ready to go?
0: Oh no, I won't pack up until the night before.
1: <laughs> oh, you're one of those. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I see. Yeah. I'm one of those too. My family gets after me every time. I when I when I go to India for two months, I pack the night before. And my family's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, listen, I've got a bad memory. So if I, if I pack two weeks before, I'm just going to tear everything out again, because I'll forget what I actually put in the stupid bag.
0: <laughs> that is where I'm at.
1: So, you know,
0: <laughs> i mind on whether or not that's what, and if I pack the night before and I get on a plane, I just got to deal with what I got in my backpack. And oh yeah. You do. I mean, you figure it all out. <laughs> mm.
1: <laughs> so do, do you have your own formulated opinion on those ultralight freaks?
0: You know, I could probably almost go ultralight. I there's one thing that is not ultralight in my backpack, and that is my sleeping bag.
1: Oh, um, so so you're yeah. not just gonna go without a sleeping bag?
0: No, nope, my sleeping bag is about just under seven pounds, and I will not take clothes.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, I, I, I hope you take some, some clothes of, on the body. No, L- listen, there are other people in the wilderness. So
0: <laughs> no, I don't, I don't deal with that problem. I just won't take like a whole, there's some people that they just need to change every single day when they're out on a trail. And I would rather have my sleeping bag.
1: Totally. <laughs> so oh. if,
0: if, it, if weight is an issue, I'm going to drop more clothing than I will my sleeping bag yeah, because the- I like to be warm and
1: the sleeping bag is really important. I know another I know another one. You know, I spent a bunch of time on the Pacific Crest Trail uh, attempting to walk from Mexico to Canada. I left with $500. I had a feeling that there was no way I was going to make it with that money. So I ended up having to stop and get random jobs along the way and it was an interesting experience, but you know, I learned so much out there. When I left, I knew there were so many things I didn't know you know, uh, mm-hmm. I started wearing trail runners out on the trail. Um, I, that's where I learned about trail runners and where was I going with this ultra light? Oh, you know, there's on the trail. People always talked about, everybody has that one item that they bring out of comfort. You know, sometimes that's a pillow for somebody. Somebody feels like they really need a pillow. Um, some people carry a good book with them. They just want to have a good book. So, but yeah, I, I'm one of those ultra light freaks. I love the ultra. I, you know, when you become ultra light, you, you, you can always be lighter and mm-hmm. it's just, it's just stupid. It becomes an obsession. I go into the mountains for three or four days with a 14 pound pack. And that's not my base weight. That's with food and water. It's, it's ridiculous. I, I mean, I can carry a heavy pack too. We climb Mount Rainier. And so, uh, we do Mount Rainier regularly. So, you know, You have to carry a little more than 40, 45 pounds. (laughs) That's the time that you wish you could be ultra light climbing, climbing up the snow fields and and glaciers. And you're like, what am I doing?
0: (laughs) Well, I spent, I spent two weeks in Bolivia and my bag wasn't more, I think it was 33 pounds at the airport. Wow.
1: Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That's light.
0: Very rarely do I carry more than 30 pounds. And like I said, my sleeping bag is seven pounds. Um, And then I have probably a good five pounds of um, splints and tape. And Mm. uh, I have a couple of tourniquets I carry in my bag. Wow. Uh,
1: Yeah.
0: So I have that kind of stuff. I have hot hands and hot feet and I have a tarp. So I carry a tarp um, usually just Mm. just in case. And then I have a hammock.
1: Nice. You're a, you're a hammocker.
0: Well, yeah, except for when I'm in the desert, then I have a little one man tent.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of, kind of hard to hang, hang a hammock from a cactus (laughs) or from a little bush. (laughs) How do you like, how do you like the hammocking, um, backpacking with a hammock? I I tried it. I couldn't do it just because the idea of being scrunched up like a taco was so difficult for me. I like to spread out and move. (laughs)
0: I have, you know, I think I've figured out where my favorite spot in my hammock is. And so I sleep really well. Yeah. Uh, I have a hammock and both of my kids have hammocks. And so we've been, we've been hammock camping for the last couple of years and really, really enjoy that.
1: I, I love what you guys are doing. It's amazing. And I'm really excited to see as you guys progress and this becomes a yearly event this mm-hmm. year, how many people do you have going with you?
0: So we started out with six and then we ended up having one that had to go into surgery. And so she doesn't get to come. So we're going with five. Oh. They're coming from all over the place. We put it up for two days in two days. I had um, 147 application um, applications that we went through. Wow. And so we kept, cap- we capped it right after that because that was already a lot and thankfully I I mean it got out so quickly between for um savage paramedics and worst responders and next rung putting it up it was just insane the I I just could not believe the outcry we even had people texting us um whether how much it cost and when they how often we did this and so This one we're doing with Evoke Changes Outdoors and Sean, who is the clinical counselor through Evoke Changes, I know personally and I've known him for several years and he's fantastic and has, he has Evoke Changes, which is his private counseling business. And he does, he specializes in wilderness therapy and then has, um, Evoke Changes Outdoors, which is his nonprofit. Mm. And the nonprofit is for veterans and first responders. And so um every all of the donations that we've got right now uh are going through evoke changes outdoors. That way they're tax deductible. Yeah. And they are it is fantastic. Him and his fiance are the two that are um coming out with us. And so and she has her own skills. So everybody's kind of bringing something different to the table she deals with meditation and has been practicing in meditation for years and years and so um breathing meditation and uh that kind of thing and then sierra has her uh she can take care of all of any injuries when it comes to the physical therapy part of it and then Mm -hmm. i can like i take care of any of the injuries right away and so everybody kind of has their own piece that they're doing with it. And then also I was a chef for a lot of years. So I liked the backcountry. country.
1: So every, <laughs> everybody's going to be eating extremely well.
0: Yes.
1: Oh my goodness. No. That, it's not going to, it's, nobody's going to be eating that mountain house. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no bueno on the mountain house.
0: No.
1: So are you guys going to be continuing to partner with evoke changes outdoors in the future? Or is that just how it's stacking up this time?
0: Uh, we would like to be able to partner with them in the future. Uh, th- so this has been a collaborative thing the whole, uh, all the way around. So between us and Liba PR, Liba PR has been the one that has um, doing the community outreach and all of that. And um, and then Sierra and I have our part. We built the website and have been taken any kind, we've been fielding any questions and that kind of thing. And then um, evoke changes outdoors are is the counseling aspect it. so got it been, okay it has been a group effort for the last two years working through this and what is your vision
1: for the future of mountain mamas outdoors uh and and what you guys are doing would you like to would you like to start doing multiple of these trips every year uh mm-hmm. do you want it to grow to 50 people or do you want to keep it relatively small what is your vision for that
0: so uh, it would it will always still stay relatively small. Uh, doing multiple trips would be something that would be fantastic. Um, having if a fire department specifically wants to set up um, to send their guys to something a retreat like this, that would be fantastic. So wilderness therapy is something that's kind of new, and um, Sean is really in the um, groundbreaking area of this kind of therapy to begin with. And so uh, moving into more wilderness therapy. And so there's been talk about possibly having events where we take other therapists who want to learn how to do this kind of therapy into the woods with Sean and having um, having him kind of go through how this works and all of that. Sure. Kind of thing, and eventually, working with other therapists as well. And uh, Sean has a pretty busy practice uh, as well, and so and then he um, is licensed in both Texas and Montana, and so does a lot with veterans. Um, in that, in both areas. And so I I don't know, the sky's the limit on this really, because I, I am so blown away with the need and the desire of these first responders to have this kind of uh, therapy. Yeah.
1: That's amazing.
0: Mind uh, mind blowing. And back to um, some of the statistics uh, one of the One of the big statistics that I have found really interesting was the fact that, so nationally, the suicide rate is only 1%. And amongst first responders, it's 8%. 8% of first responders uh, have committed suicide. If you go to our website, uh, which is uh, montanawildernessretreat.com, uh, there is a paper, a study on the differences even or the differences between EMS paramedics, law enforcement and firefighters and the, um, the suicide rates and the attempts of suicide in that paper. And that's pretty interesting, um, as far as statistics go. And then also the statistic on female suicide amongst, um, first responders mm. it is higher. And so why, uh, why, and why they, do
1: you think that is?
0: So in the study, I think it goes into a little bit of um, females being, I mean, this is not necessarily something that females have done for a long time. Um, they haven't been, uh, it, I, there was a, if you go back into the 1970s, even on an ambulance, the, if you look into some articles about what w- a woman's place on an ambulance was, So just trying to fit into the field, depending on where, where you are, you have so many different expectations on you. And I, and I honestly think though, too, and this is my own opinion. I'm not, I'm not getting this from anywhere else, but you have your own, you have more expectations for yourself as well, when you go into a field like this. Hmm. And so, and I think that puts a lot of pressure onto the um, females, um, on top of everything like all the expectations of their male counterparts and so uh because we do want to succeed and we want to we want to do very well at our job and we i mean this is a we're going into this kind of a field for a reason and so i think that's why maybe the suicide rate is a little bit higher for females and i think it goes it does go into that a little bit in that study so
1: i see okay What was uh, the website again? Mountain Wilderness. Mm.
0: It's Montana, Montana. wilderness retreat And if you go into there, there's a study. Um, it talks about the wilderness retreat that we're doing. Um, and if you want to donate and have it as a tax deduction, then we will do that a different way.
1: Got it. I'm really excited about this. You know, if somebody wants to get involved in some way, or if somebody wants to join you on one of your retreats, would this be the best way for them to contact you is to go to Montana wilderness retreat.com?
0: Uh, no, they can email me at Aaron at mountain mamas, com.
1: Aaron at mountain mamas com. Yes. Okay.
0: And that's P R I N.
1: It's E-R-I-N for those of you out there who are just not sure it's E-R-I-N and I'm A-A-R-O-N. So we've got two errands out here, out here on the podcast today. Errands, we're a good bunch.
0: We're we're we're
1: decent human beings. So is there any, anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up this, this podcast? Uh,
0: So as First, adding a couple of things, I just want to uh, put out the fact that we really want that awareness of what your first responders do for you. Um, oh, another uh, another statistic, um, I guess, 80% of our EMS in the United States is volunteer. And so- oh, really. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, all of the rural communities, they are all volunteer, um, even our rural department here in Missoula, Missoula Rural Fire Department, fantastic organization, they are half volunteer, half volunteer, half um, professional firefighters. The, the reason why it's such a big deal to help out with the mental um, status of our first responders is they are not getting compensated for this. They're not getting compensated for their um, services and they're coming out to some of the worst things that anybody can see.
1: I know, you know, my, uh, my wife, my wife, Lexi, she worked with you. She's a paramedic. Mm-hmm. And, and we talk about this, especially during this time of coronavirus. So many, so many people means mainstream media. People are talking about our nurses who are on the front lines, but there's not a whole lot of talk about the people who are actually entering the house. That's full of trash, wading through the trash, pulling the person out of their own feces and hauling them to the hospital. I mean, that is really out there on the front lines. And I mean, that's, that's just an that's just EMS. That's not even talking about, you know, all what all the police officers are having to go through during this time and, and all the firefighters. And it's just an incredible community. And these people care deeply. They love deeply. And, um, and there is a reason why people are in this, but we need to support our, our first responders and we need to show them the love and the care that they deserve and that they, that they need.
0: And this is not something that you can go home and talk to people about it all the time. I, fortunately, my boyfriend is a veteran and he has seen just as bad of things as I have, if not worse, well, probably worse on most occasions. Um, But not everybody has that. Not everybody has a support that they can go home to and talk about things because they don't wanna share that with their spouse. And it's something that, it's the funniest thing because I have never, I don't think I've ever met a group of people who feel more so, and I'm going to maybe get a little bit teary on this because I, all of these people that I've worked with, all of the first responders that I've met, they just have a passion and you have to, because you don't make very much money in this business. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. I knew when I married my wife being in the, in the work that she's in, I, I really have a special one. Yeah. 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 So, it needs to be recognized. And it's something that isn't, isn't recognized enough.
0: And I will talk about, so I am not a paramedic. I'm an EMT. So thankfully I don't have to make decisions like Lexi has to make. I have no, I do not have a desire to be a paramedic um, because I have my passion being in the outdoors. And so, but I was on a call where there was a um, a baby involved, and 23 months old. So you still technically consider them a baby. And the impact that that call had on me um, for two years, like it has taken a long time for me to really come over the top of that call, um, especially since I'm a mom myself. And, uh, I'm very empathetic, which sometimes I was wondering if that was going to be my downfall for this, um, for this kind of work, but come to find out. Cause I asked one day, I did ask one day, I said, I don't know how I'm ever going to not feel on some of these calls. And he goes, you're not ever supposed to stop feeling. And. That was probably one of the most profound, simplest answers to that question that I've that you could ever have, but you can't stop feeling because then you don't move forward on it. And so when it come when it came to that, just and the paramedic that I was working with on that call, just seeing his response and his reaction and everybody deals with all of their own emotional stuff differently. Uh, and some people keep it in an and some people talk a lot more about it. And But when it comes to, when it comes to the empathy side, I think first responders are probably some of the most empathetic people you'll ever meet. And it doesn't matter if they have to, if they only get paid $15 an hour, they're still going to be there for you. They're still going to, and they have some of the best bedside manner i have there's been so many times where we can't do anything on the ambulance except for hold their hand and and that's what you do you hold their hand and make sure that there is if you can make that fear go down even in the slightest you've done your job
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and so it's definitely a different world and I think I think community awareness is such a big a big deal because you don't think about it until you do. You don't think about it until one day your mom is on the floor and you have to call 911 or your child is on the floor and you have to call 911. But they're going to be there whether or not they're being paid for it or not. They're going to be there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I think that's where I am so much more passionate than I ever ever thought I would be. About this,
1: I I I can tell that you're so proud to be a part of the community. I just thank you for what you do, and and thank you for all of the EMS workers out there, the first responders who are out there, who show up when when the community calls. That's incredible, and like you said, it's something that we don't think about because we are just so used to making that call and somebody shows up. Somebody always shows up beyond grateful to the people who are out there working 24 seven to keep our community safe and to, to save the lives of so many people and to be there to hold the hand of that person in the back of the ambulance.
0: I think this is kind of an interesting thing to share. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard how EMS started,
1: I don't know. I haven't.
0: Are, did you know EMS was not started by hospitals? Do I do not. Take a guess of who EMS was started by.
1: I would have no idea. The community? I, I don't know.
0: The Department of Transportation. Really? Mm-hmm. And it was started in the 70s. So EMS is a baby. I mean, it's not something that's been, instead of, um, the, I mean, they used to, just send, uh, that's why, okay, if you look way back in the day, what an ambulance look, used to look like, it was a hearse, because they used to just send hearses out there. Wow. Yep. And so EMS was started by the Department of Transportation in order to try, uh, because of all of the accidents that were happening.
1: I did not know that.
0: So but- I guess another thing, like ambulance, most ambulance companies in the United States are privately owned. There's only a, uh, there's a, not a, not very many that are actually hospital owned. They're all privately owned. I'm glad you bring
1: that up because that's really important for people to understand
0: because mm-hmm.
1: a lot of fire departments are owned by the city, right?
0: Um, so fire departments are federally owned, well, federally so- owned. You can get um, with fire departments, you can get grants and that's how all the volunteer fire departments have the ability to purchase the things that they can get. So um, fire departments are paid solely by your tax money Um, and the fire department has so many different so when they come out with levies, trying to make sure to um, have enough money to fund the, um, the salaries of the fire departments and fund all of the trucks and everything like that, take into consideration the fact that all of these towns are growing and they need the money to be able to staff them. We run, so it's June 1st and just our ambulance company, company alone has run um, almost 5,000 calls already. And so, and we're small, like we're a smaller town compared to um, say Las Vegas or San Diego. And I I mean, where they have multiple ambulance companies, but the fire departments, they're running off of grants and they're going to be a lot of times every like, okay. So an ambulance runs with two people on it and a fire um, truck runs with three. And so, I mean, keep, or when you think about that, you're sometimes we're, hauling out 400 pound people and we need help and so there's no way that two of us are going to be able to get it and sometimes it takes all five people to be able um to get that person out and so so Kalispell is having some issues with um levies are being um denied and the fire department isn't getting the money to staff the way that they need to. And so that's kind of an interesting, that's a whole nother story, but that's an interesting situation. But just thinking about the fact that like when that comes up in your, in your thought process to make sure you realize that, Hey, when I need to call nine one one, I would like them to be there. Mm -hmm. And I would like to fund that fire department to make sure that they are there when I need them. And so, um, and that goes for volunteer fire departments too. They just don't, I mean, depending on where that is, they don't have a call volume enough to where it's, um, they don't keep a um, staff on it. But I have never come across a volunteer fire department that isn't there pretty quick as soon as their pagers come off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, that's really important for people to understand. A lot of fire departments, they're being paid by your taxes as well as the police department. So it's, very different when it comes to ambulance services Mm -hmm. and that's that's something i had no idea about until lexi started explaining that to me i didn't know and i'm sure most people out there have no idea that that's the case
0: and i think that's i think that's a big thing to kind of explain i mean one one piece of equipment that we have on our ambulance that is called it's called a life pack is like a twenty five thousand dollar piece of equipment and that's not including everything else. I mean, that's a pretty, uh, pretty major part of some things that we do. Um, that's the AED, that's the um, checking your heart on 12 leads and being able to transmit uh, the fact that we've got a patient that's having a STEMI to the hospital is a big thing because being able to have that team ready to go as soon as that person comes through the door because they already see the STEMI on the on the transmission is it's significant, and so it it is it is such a beautiful intertwined. There's definitely um, childish fights and arguments and stuff like that between everybody, but everybody works together for the most part very very well. The um, ED, the fire department, EMS. It's more of a, I, I feel like it's a well-oiled machine that just needs to keep getting oil. <laughs> it it so. really, it
1: really helps when everybody has a common goal, right? Mm-hmm. And that common goal is, is, you know, saving lives and being there. And so that's something that they all, you all have in common. And so that's, even though there might be some strange childish fights going on and some, mm-hmm. and some things in the background at the end of the day, you're all trying to do the same thing.
0: I shouldn't even call it childish fights. I should say it's a family unit that has arguments sometimes. <laughs> so we're not gonna we're not gonna use the term
1: child. Let's just get rid of the term child and, and move it to family arguments. So do you feel like a family when it comes to the people that you work with? You really feel like you're a, a, a tight knit family in a way
0: you know, I do. I, I definitely do. There's, uh, everybody has their moments where they need to get away from each other, but for the most part, everybody has your back and you're no, you know, that, I mean, I'll go back to that, um, that case that really hit me hard and everybody that was there knew that this was going to be a very difficult call for me because of the fact that I am a mom and, uh, when we got back to the station, I mean, they had my ambulance cleaned. I didn't even have to do anything. They were already at the hospital, making sure that I didn't have to go through all of the stuff that had been done, um, in the back of the ambulance, because with me being the driver and not the paramedic, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be the one that cleans it. And so they already had that done for me. I I came out of the hospital and it was taken care of. And then I got back there and they made sure that I was okay. And for some reason, food is a big deal when you're in EMS. (laughs) And so if anything bad happens, you go and eat. (laughs) And so Mm. making sure that um, they're like, do you want to go get something to eat? Do you want a burrito? What, what should we go do? And just making sure that, I could get my mind off of it and not be dwelling on it right away. And so, or cause it's, it's something that you're going to dwell on. Um, but getting out of it for a few moments and being able to uh, reposition yourself and, and get back into your job is a, uh, it,
1: it,
0: it was very nice. Having everybody kind of just surround, surround you.
1: Yeah. So. Just thinking, thinking of food, it, it it makes me think about how my wife can eat food, eating food while, while watching something gory is very easy for her to do, (laughs) you know, it's it's like the sitting there and snacking while next to the, next to the puddle of blood or whatever.
0: (laughs) I've had, I've seen people eating their breakfast burritos on the way to a call that doesn't sound like it's going to be a great call at all sounds like it'll be pretty gory and they're just eating their breakfast burrito on the way and getting ready and you kind of have to put yourself out of the mental state in order to do that too there's some people that like to listen to music really loud when getting ready Mm -hmm. to go to a a call and so there's certain songs that I, i had a paramedic that there were certain songs that if he was getting ready to go to a gunshot wound um, he wanted to play uh, that's what he would play on the radio before we got uh, just to kind of get get in that mental state and so yeah uh, i have really enjoyed this conversation but i think we'll wrap it up
1: so again guys if you want to reach out to aaron aaron at mountain mamas outfitters.com you can also go to the website mountain wilderness montana rather wilderness and yeah get a hold of Aaron, see how you can get involved. See how, if you're, if you're a, a first responder, see how maybe you can join one of the, one of the backpacking trips um, in the future. That would be amazing.
0: That would be amazing.
1: Yeah. Aaron, thank you for, for being on the podcast. I'm going to let you go. I know you have a lot going on, but um, once again, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah. And we'll talk to everybody next time. If you've made it to the end, thank you for sticking around. Um, I encourage you to go listen to some of the other episodes. We have so many amazing episodes that have that we've put out, and it just keeps getting better. Everyone, so get out there and and, and check out what we have. We hope that you've been inspired, and you continue to be inspired by what we're trying to do here. Until next time, we will uh, we'll uh, rather we'll see you next time on the Simply Overcoming podcast.